the galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Hello and welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat. I'm Jesse, and I'm joined by Jared and Ryan. Hello, everyone. Hi. <laughs> so it's just going to be a small group of us today, this week, and um, what do you want to start off first? Want to start off with what we've been up to? Yeah, sounds good. All right. What you got, Jared? Um, between work and, and having a baby, I haven't had a ton of hobby time. I'm trying to finish up my uh, last canon, Derradeo, which I've been working on for like a month, and do the last of 20 Templars, which I'm, I'm kind of getting the highlights and all done. Very nice. Oh, and that was before I knew how to paint yellow. So now I'm going <laughs> back doing them in the proper way so they don't look like ass. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, the last Derradeo. Probably one of my favorite units to bring into a game. That. I mean, with that Exoshock, which it's nice in 7th edition to be able to hit something with the chance of causing more than a single wound, or whole point, rather. It's pretty damn powerful. I've only ever played against it, and I know it's a pain in the ass. Oh, I've I've been pretty lucky with mine. It's has quite a few Spartan explosions under its belt. It's killed a uh, Fire Raptor. I've been pretty damn happy with it. But what you been up to? Uh, for myself, nothing too crazy right now. Honestly, I've been at work six days a week, and unfortunately, eBay is not one of a blocked website at work. <laughs> so I've honestly been planning some, buying some bits and whatnot. I think for my summer goal, because I don't really have a desire to start a new Legion, I'm going to just start updating my Dark Angels. And by doing that, kind of in a backwards way, I'm going to take all my Betrayal at Kalf, Mark IV Space Marines and kind of phase them out as tacticals and bring in some Mark III from Burning to Prospero. So get all my Dark Angels, at least most of them, like at least 80% of them in Mark III armor. And it's just one of those things where, you know, I had my Mark IV tacticals for the longest time. They were the ones I just started out with. And, you know, I've learned some tips and tricks with painting black and whatnot. And so I decided, yeah, let's start over again. So looking forward to that. I've been picking up some bits from some Warhammer Fantasy things, some swords and whatnot. I I don't know what kit they're from, but they've got some nice swords that are in a sheath with a little rope tied to them. And they look pretty darn good on a Mark III armor on the side. So I can have power swords on veterans and stuff, and they don't actually have to have it in hand. That's a good idea. Yeah, they look really good. And um, once I glue a few together, I'll post a few pictures but for the most part, I'm getting ready to move in two months. So hobby is kind of in a very low-key position right now. It's just kind of gathering bits, putting them in boxes to move, and then it's probably going to go all whole hog come summertime. So looking forward to it. What are you going to do with your Mark Forrest? Haven't decided yet. I might sell them. I might keep them. I'd, it's still up in the air. <laughs> I'm a, I've got a terrible hoarding problem when it comes to models, sadly. So we'll see what happens with them. But how about yourself, Ryan? What have you been up to this week? Um, I finished up the Atropos, 
which feels good. Uh, he's like 95% done. I still got to do decals and a couple bits that I left off. And then um, I was going to paint some white scars that have been sitting on my table for a while, but I have decided uh, kind of on a whim that I'm going to start building up my strike team for Nova. Very cool. Uh, so I did all the custom bases uh, a couple days ago, played around with those, and then I'm in the process right now, actually, of uh, building out all the dudes, trying to add some unique features to every one of them. Very so, nice. yeah, yeah, I'm excited good. about it. I saw the event that um, some of the guys had testing out the strike team missions, and that just kind of fuels the fire, yeah. seeing people play it. Yeah, they were doing some practice, trying to flesh out the rules and the missions today over at Battlegrounds in Richmond. I wasn't able to make it, sadly, but it looked like they had a fun time. Learned a lot of things about how to... Looks like they had some tweaking of the missions that they're planning on doing in the future. But for the most part, it seemed like everybody was having a good time. Yeah, some really good-looking armies. Um, it looked like they were playing on one of the ZM tables, which looked looked yeah. like a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm excited. I've got... Uh, I'm going to be rocking some word bearers, so I get the chance to do all sorts of witchy-poo stuff and cool uh some cool flavor i think this this little strike team will have nice yeah that's that's one thing i haven't done really ever i've never really messed with psychers before and i think that's another goal i want to try in the future is adding some psychers to my dark angels army get a few extra little buffs here and there i think it'd be nice they need they need everything they can get right now yeah i'm gonna be running uh my Actual word bearers list is going to be 2,000 points Centurion, and I'm going to have nice. Zardu Layak in there, and maybe oh, I've got the um, that limited edition Forge World Librarian, the Terminator one. Is that the one with the uh, demon coming out of his hand? Yep, sure nice. is. So I'll be doing him, and then probably well, I'll, I'll do a Chaplain as well. Very um, cool. But it'll be fun. I've never. I'm the same way. I haven't really messed with psychic powers in 30k, just out of laziness and. <laughs> Yeah, whatnot, but uh, I think it's a good opportunity for it. Very cool. So yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up what we've been up to this week. Again, there's only three of us today, so be a little quiet podcast. So sit back, get a cigar out, sip some wine, and uh, just listen to the very deft tones of Jesse, Ryan, and Jared. Our intimate fireside chat. Yes, quite. We'll be right back. And we're back. Me and Ryan, Jared, we're going to talk a little bit about today uh, running events, the planning, the running, and just the overall overview of running events. So, Ryan, you want to start us off? How does uh, how does one begin to start an event? Sure. So, you know, a couple episodes back, we talked, uh, had a good conversation about building the community, um, whether you're in a community that already has a lot of players or you're starting from scratch. So if you've decided to, um, you know, you've, you've either been to a few events and you really liked what you saw or you did not like what you saw and you wanted to do something different um, or you're in an area that you don't have a lot of events being run and you think you want to step up to the plate, that's kind of what we're going to talk about now, right? So you want to take mm -hmm. it to the next level and try to uh, get some momentum for 30K. Awesome. Um, so really quick, I mean, <clears throat> for me, I've run a few events now, um, and I will tell you the first event that I ran was at a major convention. So I ran an event at Nova uh, last year. That was the very first event I've ever run. Which one was uh, that? 
that was the opening salvo. Okay, gotcha. Right. So, which is at the time was very intimidating. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure because it's a major convention. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ended up actually being a really fun um, thing for me from a hobby perspective. Sure. Uh, there was a lot of stress involved, but it was fun. And okay. I say that I say that um, to kind of put it in people's minds that you know it is just another aspect of the hobby. It is something that you can get good at um, over time, or you may just be good at it naturally. Um, but you know, it's it seems intimidating, and you go to an event and you see the fantastic job that some of these event organizers do. Whether you're going to Nova or local events down in Richmond or Maryland or whatever. Uh, Adepticon, Las Vegas Open. Um, you know, it's something that anybody is probably capable of doing with enough preparation and planning. It really just comes down to whether that's a step you want to take, right? Because it does take a lot of personal time. It takes mm-hmm. some personal resources. Um, so I guess starting out, we can break it out, right? Um, going to kind of run through four kind of what I look at as phases of getting an event ready. Um, the first one being the concept, right? You want to develop a concept of how you're, you want your event run. Um, you need to plan for it. So just like everything in life, if you want it to be successful, you come up with a plan. Uh, from that plan, you start to prepare, you know, whatever you've decided are going to be the line items or things you need to achieve uh, to make it successful. And then obviously you have to hold the event, um, right? So that, like, that's straightforward. Yeah. So from the concept, um, I look at this as a couple different ways, right? Either you're on a Facebook group or you're part of a, a group that already plays. Maybe there's four or five of you that play in a basement or play at a friend's house, and you want to expand that a little bit, or you've been to an event and you really liked how that was run. Um, so from there, you can develop your concept, right? Uh, or even if you've heard about events. So you hear about events on other podcasts or you see them on Facebook groups, and you like how somebody ran an event. Um, that might be a Zone Mortalis event where you have smaller forces, maybe a Centurion event, maybe a standard Age of Darkness, um, or an Escalation type thing where you do Escalation in a day with multiple point sizes. Any, any number of ways you can run a one-day event. And I guess in theory, if you're really ambitious, you can decide you want to run you know, a two-day event. Um, so another way to to kind of approach this is you can also ask the community. If you're part of a Facebook group, ask people what type of events they're interested in attending. Um, you may really be interested in Zone Mortalis, but there might be only a few people interested in that, and you may get more bang for your buck playing Centurion or Standard Age of Darkness type mm-hmm. uh, event. Um, from there, you want to kind of plan Right, so you have a concept. Let's say, for an example, you decide you're going to run a Centurion event, 1,500 points, so three games of Centurion-style play, 1,500 points. Um, I personally, when I'm going to run an event, I like to give myself a couple months' time to prepare it uh, and plan for it. Right, so mm-hmm. if you come up with this idea, don't, in my, unless you've got all your ducks in a row and you have, already have all the resources, it's probably not a good idea to schedule it a month from the time you decide to run it, um, unless there's a lot of people like chomping at the bit to play. If you're going to need more time to prepare, you're probably going to want a couple months to set everything up, right? And at least, if possible, a couple of hands to help as well. Oh, absolutely. So, 
the more people that can be involved in helping to plan your event, uh, probably the better, especially starting out. Um, if you've got five or six people that you play with on a regular basis and your, your goal is to expand that to twice as many people to play with, then probably all four or five of those people should be helping out. Right. Sure. If they're, if they have the time. Um, so first thing you need to do is you need to establish your venue, right? You need to find a place that's willing to host your event. Uh, or if you happen to have a large space of your own, that's personal, or you know, large house, garage, game room or whatever, then if you're willing to have strangers over, um, you could potentially host it at your place. But most people are going to try to find a store or a community center or something of that nature uh, where you can meet in a community setting to set up this event, right? Yeah. Um, uh, go ahead. I was just saying, you know, random strangers meeting for the first time, probably not the best time to introduce them into your home. I agree. But, you know, there are people that have no issues with that, and if you're one of those people, then then go for it. Um, yeah. But for the most part, mo- you're, you're probably going to get more – people are going to be more comfortable meeting in a public place, at least the first time. So you'll probably get a little bit more participation that way. Yeah. And in a lot of places, space can be a premium. Like, not everyone has a game store with, like, eight, nine, ten tables, like – how we do it over at Battlegrounds, which we're really lucky and thankful to have them host our stuff. But when you mention like um, public places, like a lot of rec centers, like local municipalities will have like a recreation center. Now it might be something to look into. Nice large open space. You know things like that. Usually they come with just a very small fee or whatnot. But yeah, absolutely. Might be something to look into. Yeah, the big thing there, you know. Um a store that has space is awesome because then you know they at least have some level of, you know, tables or gaming tables. Hopefully they have terrain. Um, if they don't have terrain and it's a store that you want to run an event at, that's probably a good idea for you to talk to the store owner to see, hey, if you have terrain that's unbuilt, can I help build it, paint it, or can we come in and do a terrain day where me and my buddies come in and build up your stock of terrain? And that's going to build goodwill with that store because you're doing something to help the store out. Uh, they're probably more likely to work with you, and you're also building up your you know, terrain that can be used throughout events. Yeah. Um, with the rec center, that's a great idea, too. The big thing with that is you want to make sure they can provide tables. Hopefully, they get at least the fold-out you know, 4x6 or 4x4 tables that you can make into war gaming tables. You don't want to be in the scenario where you're dragging around, you know, half a dozen tables with boards and all the terrain, because that'll be a real... I mean, people have done it, and that's traditionally what people did back in the day uh, if you didn't have a store, but it's a big pain in the ass. Definitely can be. So, and then uh, to your point, Jesse, you you got to gauge, you know, if you pick a store that everybody's comfortable with, you have to gauge um, what your maximum participation can be in that event. Um, And at the same time, you should probably also figure out what is the minimum amount of people that to attend the event that you're comfortable with or that would make it worthwhile for you as an event organizer to host? Um, that's going to be a personal decision based on a, a number of factors. You may be the type of person that says, if I get four people to show up and play with me, that's a good event, and that's absolutely fine. Um, you may be the type of person that says, if I'm going to sink you know, 40 or 50 hours into planning this thing, I want at least 10 people to show up or 15 that's gonna that's gonna be dependent on a number of factors. Um, I say 
you know, on your first event, keep expectations low. Um, if you get all the guys that normally game with you plus one new person, then I consider that a success. Sure. Um, because now you've got potentially a new long-term player that's in your group. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you don't mind me interjecting. Absolutely. I held, yeah, I held my first event at a convention, at war, well, like a historical wargaming convention in Williamsburg. I think it was in February. It was the Williamsburg Muster. And right. Yeah. That was a, that was a, Somewhat stressful, to be honest. Um, in mid-December, I guess they were talking to a few people because they had some tables open. And they were looking to fill the spaces. And someone mentioned, yeah, the guys over at Richmond, 30K, they have some stuff. And so the organizer there asked us, hey, can we can run some tables? I'm like, sure. I don't see why not. And so um, then it was just two months of just complete rapid terrain building. Luckily, had some had some help with... Uh, Austin and Jason and David they helped lend a hand getting everything set up and everything ready. We had let's see, we had twelve people sign up, which I was really happy with because at first I was like, man, eh, maybe we can hold twenty-four people. And in my head at that time, it, it didn't dawn on me how much terrain <laughs> would be required for twenty-four people. And I was like, oh my god! But um, yeah, we had twelve people sign up, and once we had hit about there, I closed the registration down. We didn't have really anyone else to come in and ask and try to participate, which worked out okay for us. But we had a few people from Richmond 30K come down. We had a few people from uh, Hampton Roads, which is roughly an hour, two hours south of Richmond. They have their own small gaming group, and they also came up. So it was kind of a neat little uh, meeting of people. And we had you, Ryan, come down all the way from Maryland. Did you did you have somebody from Maryland come down with you, or was it just you? Um, so there was, uh, yeah, John... Came down with his custodes. That's right. We didn't travel together, but he's he's from this area. Yeah, yeah, and that was good. So we overall we had I think we had twelve people sign up, but two had a drop out. So we had a total of ten people and five tables. And to be honest, I was perfectly happy with that. <laughs> and it worked out. Really no, good, absolutely. So and that's a great example, right? Because um, in that situation, you were bringing all of the terrain for that, yeah. right? So they, they supplied the tables, but uh. We had some fat mats and some terrain. We all kind of yeah. did a group effort. Yeah, absolutely. Put a, put so a shit ton of foam and whatnot, and I have like five storage boxes of terrain sitting in my garage right now. <laughs> yep, yep. So. so, I mean, that's a great example, right? Um, one of the worst things, in my opinion, there's, there's two bad things that can happen when you run an event or you set up an event, right? Either you get way too many people to sign up than what you have capacity for, and you try to hold the event with all those people, right? So if you were in that situation and you had 30 people sign up and you only had five tables worth of terrain, that's that's not going to be a good day, right? Yeah. You're either going to have to tell people they can't play, you're going to have to cut, cut people out before they show up, um, and that's just not good. And it's going to stress you out, sure. right? So knowing what you're capable of doing with the time that you have to prepare is key. So making that decision, lucky. hey, I'm going to have 12 people Six tables max. That's fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Don't don't be afraid to start small. Like I worked out luckily for us pretty well. But and also we had enough terrain on our each tables where if we ended up having more people, we could have split it up a little bit more and it would have been perfectly fine. Sure. And, and uh, we ran flip- that terrain pretty darn thick. Which yeah, you did. personally, that I was liked. awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I like a thick terrain table. It worked for me because I was playing twenty five hundred points Centurion against normal lists, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I liked it. 
Um, and the be- the flip side for that, or the good good thing about that now, is that you've got you know you can roll roll out with five tables worth of terrain. Very. True. And now the next event that you run, if you want to expand that to two or three more tables, now you're not stressing out about eight tables. You're stressing out about two or three more. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's the you know understanding your minimum attendance, what your maximum attendance is. Um, and the only other thing I would say you should probably plan for, at least in the early stages, is whether or not you want to have prize support mm-hmm. and whether or not you're going to try to get, um, you know, third-party companies to chip in for that prize support or if you're going to do it by, um, you know, if it's a $10 buy-in to get into the tournament and you're playing at a store, then are you going to do gift cards? Are you going to do product from the store? Um, that type of thing. So you want to figure that out early uh, just because if you do want to try to do third-party swag, you're going to start wanting to reach out to those third-party vendors early to see if they're willing to give you anything. Do you have any uh, experience with that personally? Um, I do not personally have that experience. I just know um, working with the guys from Nova when they run their stuff, uh, you know, for Adepticon, they get swag. They get some swag um, from Nova proper, and then yeah. some of the um, third-party vendors will give them just for the 30K-specific stuff. And that's mm-hmm. something they work out a little bit in advance, right? Um, in the future, if our events grow and there's a lot of interest, then I might do that. Um, what we typically do in Maryland is we establish what the um, entry fee is going to be. And then if we're holding it at a store, which we've only, we've only ever hold it, held it at a store, um, I take all of the entry fee money and put that into gift cards, which is gotcha. then the prize support. Um, nice. That way the store knows they're getting money out of it, right? They're basically, which is what they want. They want to see their tables used and they want to see some sort of profit. Um, and they know that that is being used in gift cards. And then usually when people get a 10 or 15 or $20 gift card, they're probably going to spend a little bit extra anyway. So it's good I for the I store. <laughs> oh, I do too. I'm like, oh, I got $20 for free. That means I yeah, can spend probably can spend twice more. that much. <laughs> and get twice as much out of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so once you've established what your venue is going to be, um, what kind of terrain you're going to need, what kind of resources you're going to need, um, and your max attendance, now you need to start preparing for the event. Um, I like to start doing this a couple months out, personally, um, but that's because I got a lot going on in my life, and sometimes I only have five or ten minutes a day to put towards a hobby. So the longer I have to prepare for it, the more likely I'm going to get everything done. Sure. Um, so something that everybody, every event is going to need, three things you're going to need. You're going to need um, an event pack, which is something that you need to be able to generate to give to your players. It can be very sparse, or it can be, um, I guess, really complicated. It depends on the type of event you're going to run. In the event pack, you're going to have, for us, we always set the narrative, right, because we like to do narrative gaming. So I'm going to set the narrative overall tone of what we're trying to achieve. Um, And then we'll have missions in the event pack, and then each mission will have a little bit of narrative. Uh, There are a bunch of different examples of how to do mission packs or event packs. Um, What I have found is really useful if you do go to a larger event or if you go to somebody else's event, always keep the mission pack or the event pack that they give you. Um, 
if you have any idea that you're going to want to run an event in the future, they're really good resources. Um, I've For all the events I've done for Maryland 30K, I have kept the Nova 30K event packs for the last couple of years, and I frequently um, I will use those either just to take the formatting from and because it's a really good way of just laying stuff out. If you find an event pack that's laid out really well, try to replicate that so you're not recreating the, the wheel, you know? Sure. And I will say, last year at Nova was my first time, and it was all solid. Like the missions, the storyline, the fluff, it was fantastic. So yeah, I, I still have the mission packets myself somewhere in this apartment. But yeah, definitely yeah. hanging on to those is definitely a good idea. And a lot of those, like for Nova as an example, I don't have an experience with Adepticon, otherwise I'd mention Adepticon, but um, Nova, at least up through the day of the convention, all of the um, mission packs are available online. So if you have a Nova store account, which is free, that's how you purchase everything. You Actually, you can even do it without the account. You can yeah, go to the Nova know. Open Store and click on the 30K events. Either. Yeah, you're right. Um, you can just go to those 30K events, and you can see all of the event packs, and then you can use that as a resource. Um, there's a lot of Facebook groups out there, so if you look at Eye of Horus, if you look at Radio Free Istvan, if you look at the Adepticon Horus Heresy Facebook group, any number of others, um, they often will have uh, pinned posts with event packs or rules, you know, custom rule sets that they use. Those may, other, may be other good resources to pull ideas from. Um, for your event pack. Very cool. And then a um, couple other things for preparation. So if you're going to have to do terrain, if you're going to have to do special objectives, um, maybe you want a single piece of terrain that's going to be used on every table to represent something in the narrative, um, or you may have to create tables worth of terrain, depending on your the situation you're in. This is that time where you should be using this couple months before the event to knock all that stuff out. Um, if you have people that are helping you, then it's really useful. Like I know the Richmond guys, they'll do um, terrain build days or terrain paint days. I know that Nova does that. Um, use your friends that also play to help out with those kinds of things, especially if you have a lot of stuff to build. If you're trying to build five or six tables, um, and you only have a couple months to do it, that's going to take a lot of your personal time. It's going to take a lot of your resources, even just buying paints and all of the all of the peripherals that you need to build a table's worth of terrain can start to get a little bit expensive personally. Um, so just be prepared for that expense. If you have friends that are willing to pony up and help, then you know grab them by the ear and make <laughs> it a fun event, beer, pizza, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then everybody, the nice thing about that is then when you run that event and people show up, they've, they're invested in it because they helped create portions of that. They may have helped create a table that they get to play on. And that's also something that your gaming group is going to be able to use as a resource in the future. Um, so this is the time that you should be getting all of that stuff knocked out. Okay, and then this really brings us up to you know, the day or the week before the event. So this is the time when you should be double-checking everything, double-checking that your player's pack is good, that your mission pack is good. If you had time to, depending on how complicated your missions are, I will say this. If you're going to run really complicated missions, 
um, either for narrative reasons or because you have some sort of cool mechanic you want to use, you should probably try to play test that before you bring it to a bunch of random people. Um, not not strictly necessary, but sometimes you may have inadvertently created some sort of imbalance in the mission, um, which may be fine, or it may completely skew the game for somebody. So that's one one caveat for the mission pack. If you're doing something really unique, um, you might want to play test that with with some folks. Not a bad idea. Um, and then you want to double check you have everything right. Uh, <laughs> the the day before you should be. Laying out everything. I'm in. I'm in the military, right? So we do layouts. Uh, lay out all your gear, everything you're going to need um, for the next day, right? What you don't want to do is show up. Typically, depending on how you're doing it, when you show up to the venue, you may only have half an hour or an hour to set everything up, depending on you know when you set the arrival time, when you set the time to drop dice. And yep. when the venue opens, you may only get a little bit of time to set up. Yeah, more likely than not, you're not going to have time to go back home, grab whatever you oh, yeah. and come back. Unless it's in your backyard, you're not going home. So exactly. if you left the table behind, your table's short, and that might screw somebody yep. um, out of playing that day. So as the EO, lay everything out. Lay out all your tables, terrain, fat mats, event packs, um, score sheets, Anything that you're going to need to run that game or run that event, lay it all out, make set it list. off to the side, make a list. <laughs> Jesus, make a, make a list. <laughs> yeah, make a checklist, man. Um, and then so you know that you know when you wake up the next day, and then obviously you know pack the car, do all those sort of things that we have to do to get from one place to another, um, and double check everything. Good stuff. Uh, and then I would say try to get some sleep, you know, because it's kind yeah. of an event, um, a stressful event especially if it's the first event you've run. Um, try to get some sleep. You want to be well-rested. It's a silly thing. Hydrated and well-rested. Uh, you don't want to show up hungover, groggy, whatever the next day um, because you got to kind of be on your A game, especially if you are the one person running the event. Um, people are going to show up first thing, and they're going to expect things to kick off. And if you're dragging ass or you're late, if you're the guy that's late and it's your event, that's gonna. That could be a problem. Sure thing. Absolutely. Okay, and then you know the last last thing we got to do now is hold the event. Um, so a couple things here. Again, you want to arrive on schedule or ahead of schedule, right? So you want to be the first one at the venue. If you have people that are going to help set up, make sure they're there as well. Uh, make sure that you've um, coordinated with the either the store owner or whoever's running that venue so that you can have access to what you need to have access to. So for the store that I run events out of, the event or, or sorry, the store um, lets me in early before they open so that I can haul everything in and set everything up, right? And that buys me an extra 20, 30 minutes of getting all the terrain set up before people even arrive. Yep. Another um, good reason to have good rapport with your local game group. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, if you can get in there a little bit early... Uh, and usually you can ask them, especially if you're bringing money into the store. And it always depends. It depends on who the manager is and your rapport and everything. But if you've got a good rapport, don't be afraid to ask them for a little bit of extra time. And they will often be able to oblige you. Um, so get in there. Get everything set up. I will say that um, as the event organizer, you're going to have a lot of people that show up. Um, there's going to be maybe a lot of people that you've been talking to on Facebook 
um, or that you know that are friends, um, if they are there to just have fun and shoot the shit and they're not there to help set up, don't get too distracted early on by all the sideline conversations. Stay focused on what you need to do to make sure that when everybody's ready to kick off, they have the information and everything that they need. Um, you know, it's a social thing. You're running an event and it's supposed to be fun, but I've seen it before where, you know, the event organizer is buddies with all the people in the event. And then you end up spending 45 minutes shooting the shit. And when one person could have been getting those last few ducks in a row, and then you end up starting an hour late, um, which, you know, if, if you're a single guy with no obligations, that might be totally cool. But for a lot of us with families and stuff, you know, the difference between getting home at six o'clock at night and seven o'clock at night can often be a big deal with family and kids. For sure. Uh, and a lot of people plan their schedules around, hey, your event said it was going to be done at six. So I'm leaving at six because that's what I told my wife. Um, and that's a reality that, that you have to deal with. So try to Absolutely. stay on schedule um, whenever you can. Um as the event organizer, you need to be excited for your own event. Okay, so if you're an introverted person or somebody that's not generally outwardly excited, excited, um, I'm not saying you need to fake the funk or anything, but people are going to come up and they're going to start getting their mission packs and all that kind of stuff. They probably want to talk to somebody that's excited to be there. Um, if you're a Debbie Downer and they might just get a negative impression, first impression of the event, which may or may not hold water, but just be excited to be there. Um, that seems like a simple thing, but I know I personally sometimes um, am not the most outgoing person. So when I run an event, I need to like put on my A game and like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like oh, I know. be there for like, the people. You know, you know um, me, Ryan, I'm, I'm fairly introverted myself. Right, exactly. So when we were passing out the packets at the Williamsburg Muster at was it ten o'clock in the morning? I guess. I'd like to think I was, you know, keeping it optimistic, but <laughs> deep inside I was so stressed out. But oh yeah, looked like everybody had a good time though, and having a good time. No, it was good. It was definitely good. I think but that's you, also you a good be... point. Go ahead. A good point is that typically you got to remember, and it's a good thing to remember that the people are here to play a game to have fun. So. You know, as long as you keep that in the mindset going too, you know, yeah, absolutely. Helps take the stress off a little bit. Yep. So a couple things about running an event, right? So you have your mission pack. Um, the big things from the mission pack, like depending on how you ha how you set up your missions and all that kind of stuff, you will find that some people will read the mission pack, some people will not. <laughs> Do not get hung up on whether a, a table that is in your event. It's following the rules of the mission that you set up, right? Some people will be a very attention, um, you know, attention oriented or detail oriented, and they will say, "Okay, we know that we're doing this mission, and we're doing these these sectors or worth objectives, and this." And then you'll have some guys that you you spend a lot of time building these missions, and they'll just throw their stuff on the table, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll just do thing, and we'll figure it out later," right? Um, don't get hung up on it. People show up to these things to have fun. Some others, um, you know, it, it will affect your overall tally at the end of the day for like loyalists versus trader. Those that paid attention, those that, that did not, but don't get too hung up on if they're skipping facets of it. If they're having fun, if they're rolling dice, if they're talking and shooting the shit, then it's a good thing. And also, um, it also might be a good point to keep track of 
maybe some homebrewed rules that you made or some elements of the missions that people just overall just completely overlook as well and maybe considering maybe we could take that out for the next event yeah absolutely um yeah and so that's going to be towards the end we'll talk about what to do after the event gotcha um getting ahead of ourselves but no that's fine so i would say um you want to stick to the timeline the big the big thing no matter what happens try your very damnedest to stick to whatever timeline you set for your rounds yeah especially i would say when it comes close to meal times because people start to get cranky if they are playing at three o'clock and they didn't get a chance to eat their lunch. People get hangry, man. Oh yeah. Um, So stick. Yeah, I do too. So stick to the timelines, um, especially at the beginning and at the end, right? You don't want to be an hour and a half later. Um, Now, if you're, if you're all at like a convention where, you know, you know, 95% of people are staying at the hotel, it's probably not a big deal. If you're playing at a one day event where, you know, people are traveling you know, one, two hours to get there, you definitely want to stay stay on task. Um, that's not to say you want to be a dick or anything, but do give people their 15 or 20-minute warnings. Let them know, hey, at this time, we're going to stop dropping dice. You're going to tally it up, um, finish up your round, whatever it is, and then we're starting again at this time so that everybody is on the same page. And players within the games will tend to self-regulate, and that shouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but they need to know because, you know, obviously you get wrapped up in a game and sometimes you forget what time the next round starts. Um, set an alarm as, for yourself. Yeah, Your you can set an alarm. Anything. We were joking about that in the in the chat. You know, you can do uh, chess timers. Will was talking about getting a chess timer yeah. for his next event. Uh, whatever it is you need to do, I set a alarm on my phone so that, and that's going to have like the down to the last 30 minutes. And then at 30 minutes, I'll give a time hack. And I'll probably get a time hack at five or ten minutes left so people know they need to wrap it up. Um, That being said, while you want to stick to your timeline, be flexible on just about anything else and roll with the punches, right? There's going to be stuff that happens. Um, You know, you can plan this thing 100 ways to Sunday, have everything locked up, but you know that no plan is going to survive contact or first contact. Things are going to go wrong or things are going to go sideways. You just need to be able to roll with the punches and make it work, um, and still have fun. That's If you're not having fun running the event, you know maybe it was an experiment for yourself to see if it's something you want to do. Uh, but if you're not having fun, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, you know, it may be stressful at times, but once it, like, uh, like Will said not too long ago, if it's starting to feel like work, then it might not be for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and usually you'll know, right? Because when you start, and this is the last thing I'm going to say is, you want to get feedback of your event, whether that's um, in a written format uh, with your scorecards where you have just a text box where people can provide feedback, whether you just solicit feedback throughout the day from people as they have downtime, which is something that I'll often do. I'll ask them, how is it going? How did you like a particular aspect of a mission? Do you like the way that we did pairings? Whatever it is, just kind of poll people as you have an opportunity. Uh-huh. Um, or you can ask for formal feedback. You know, if you're on a Facebook group or if everybody's on Facebook with this event, you can always send out a survey to ask for formal feedback afterwards, right? To yeah. get an idea of where you can tighten things up or make it more interesting for people. Good stuff. That's damn. That's actually something I forgot to do after the muster. 
Well, so it's. I guess it's not too late, the though. Buster, no, it's not too late, and really, it was pretty natural because I, you'll if you have a successful event, you're gonna know because people are gonna tell you they had fun, right? Mm-hmm. They may have had three shitty games or three three good games or whatever it is, but if they had fun, they're gonna tell the event organizer. People are gonna come up and shake your hand, um, and say, "Hey, man, I really liked what you did," or if people have a real serious bitch gripe or complaint. They are also going to let you know. That's uh, true. Most likely, they're going to pull you to the side. Hopefully, they're a gentleman about it and mature, and they pull you to the side and say, hey, man, what you did here really jacked this up. And yeah. maybe it did for everybody, or maybe you just maybe it was just that person's interpretation. Um, but that's an opportunity for you as an event organizer to just learn from that and um, make adjustments for the future. Yeah, all good stuff. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I would say if you're going to try to do um, be an event organizer, what I would recommend you do, um, if it's something you're really seriously interested in, is try to um, find another group that runs events that needs help and offer your help just so you can get a little bit of experience without having necessarily to take on the full responsibility. Um, or if you know you have a solid core of people that are also interested in running events. So if you have two or three people that you know are going to help you through the whole thing, and one or two of those people are going to be at the event helping you run it, um, like with you, Jesse, you had Austin there to oh, help yeah. run the event. Yeah, right? Austin so, was the one who uh, wrote up all the rules and mission stuff. And yeah, and that's his awesome. Help, so some other people's help, like there was no way, no way in hell I could have done it myself in that period of time. Yeah. So in, in that case... You know, you guys kind of did it from jump first time doing it, but you had help from people. Yeah. Um, so it's not as people, much of a heavy load. Yeah, having a group of people really helped. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what it's all about. And then, um, yeah, like yeah. I said, get feedback. And then you can evolve if you really liked doing it. Evolve your events. You know, take what you really liked. Um, maybe you hear about something from another group that you want to try out and then try it out. Yep. Uh, you know, and then take it from talking. there. You know, I'm just thinking of little things here and there that's kind of popping in my head naturally. Like, if you're worried about running an event, it might be a good idea to just run, like, a very private event with just people you know how to play, or people you know, and just run your own event with those people. See how it feels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, like, uh, what I really like about the Richmond group is that you guys rotate who runs the event every month. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same dude doing it every month. Well, I think a lot of that also leads to the fact that just people here are really enthusiastic about it and more than willing to run events. So that works out. No, absolutely. But it also works out because you're building, like running an event is a hobby skill. I look at it Mm -hmm. as a hobby skill. It's another facet of the hobby, right? So everybody's getting an opportunity. What's that? And like with all skills, you get better better at them as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now you have, you know, six or seven people that have all run events. And if any of them got asked, just like you were asked to do the muster, hey, uh, can you do this thing, this small or large event, whatever, there's a level of confidence amongst your group that probably a number of you could do that. And you also have a lot of support amongst each other. So I think you guys are in a very good um, position to run something of a larger event because you do have a lot of experience within a small group of people. Yeah. 
I'd say we have a very solid group here. Yeah. So, yeah. And with that, do you have any more uh, parting tips as far as running an event? Um, no, I think the other only other thing that I would say, and I um, neglected to mention this, this is more like in the planning and concept phase, but don't be afraid to reach out to people that you know have run events um, mm-hmm. successfully because uh, we're all just people. We're just normal dudes. Even the folks that run Adepticon events or Las Vegas Open or Nova events, normal people, right? So if you're on Facebook groups with some of those folks or, or you know event organizers and you're interested in doing it, start up a conversation with them. See you know what they're willing to help you out with. Not necessarily they're, they're not going to run your event for you, um, but they may be able to give you tips or tricks or things to avoid or give you ideas of the types of events that are popular in that area, or even simple things like, hey, do you have mission packs? Or I know that you're running uh, NPC characters at an event a couple months, uh, you know, two of your events ago. Could I see what, could you give me the, um, you know, the basic NPC sheet, right? So stuff like that where you're not recreating the wheel, um, but you can use ideas that were used previously by other successful events to kind of jumpstart what you want to do, especially if you know what they did was was successful and popular. Yeah, totally. Love it. All right. Sounds good. So you want to take a break? And I think I'd like to talk about this termite that just came out this week. What do you think, Ryan? Got some time to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. All right, cool. Well, we'll yeah, we will be right back. And we're back. It's uh, me and Ryan, because Jared's being a responsible adult and responsible father, taking care of his kid. Us, we're just chilling out. We're going to be talking about the termite that just came out from Forge World for pre-order this week. Yeah, this is very exciting. Um, a lot of folks have tracked that, you know, uh, Dave Samson at Black Label Painting uh, got this thing at Adepticon. He unboxed it. He built it. He painted it. He played with it, it was all fantastic. in the course of, like, two days. It was so uh, awesome. Yeah, so these, this thing, you know, they released rules for it in uh, one of the open days at the beginning of the year, and then it just kind of showed up at Adepticon, and now we've got uh, rules for pretty much every faction that can use it. Yeah. Already printed. That's, that are they're they're not labeled experimental. They're just straight up rules on the Forge World site, and it's up for pre order right now. And I will say that's really awesome to have this model being accessible to pretty much all aspects of the Heresy, whether you're Mechanicum, Legionus Astartes, Militia, everybody, everybody can freaking use this, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, and I think you know something I was not expecting. I knew that they were going to have um, alternate variations of the rules or slight different you know variations depending on the faction. Uh-huh. I really was not expecting them to drop the PDF for all four uh, different factions that can use it. All ready to go at the same time. At one pre-order came up, these things dropped, and they didn't list them as experimental rules. Yeah, freaking fantastic <laughs> because now they're, they're official. You can take them to events. There's no dramas about them, and they've made some adjustments based off of uh, what they originally posted them as, you know, back in January. So yeah, it's, it's cool. Day. Yeah. So do you want to just start talking about these rules here? Sure, man. All right. Cool. I'll start off with the um, Legionis Astartes rules. Coming in at 80 points as a fast attack slot choice. 
a Terax pattern termite assault drill. It is a vehicle tank unit with two twin link bolters as its default war gear. It has deep strike, subterranean assault, terrestrial disregard, melter cutters, crawling advance as its special rules. It has two access hatches and has a transport capacity of, which I really like, 12 models. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's basically an upgraded Rhino. Front armor, side armor 12, rear armor 10, three hull points, and ballistic skill 4. This bad boy, it's, you know, other than just a slight points increase, it's like, why would you not take a Rhino? Why would you not take this? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the, the points are definitely an issue. The The other issue is it takes up a fast attack slot. So some armies, especially legions of Stardust armies, you're either yeah. going to have those slots open or you're not going to have so many free. Well, I'm personally for me, I'm coming from a somewhat biased situation because I play Iron Wing Dark Angels. And so I almost never take any fast attack slots. But now yeah. I have freaking tanks that I can take in these fast attack slots to open up some more dreadnoughts in the elite section. Or if I want to take a Deradeo and some Leviathans as heavy support, hey, I got tanks that can support that. I think it's Absolutely. pretty awesome. Yeah, that that's, does help out your right of war quite a bit. Because yes. in the past, uh, some of the fast attack options you might have taken would have unbalanced the tank versus infantry build. Mm-hmm. Uh, this goes the other way with it. Definitely. Uh, I played Death Guard for my Legion. Um, I have zero fast attack slots, so having Death Guard popping out of these things, um, you know, ammunition flamer squads, heavy flamer squads, uh, is freaking awesome. Yeah, and, and the fact that you, have, you can put characters in there. Exactly. With 12 so models. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pop in your uh, chaplain or maybe an apothecary in these guys. It's like a 10 man veteran squadron. Oh, definitely opens up some new options, and I love it. Yeah. Did you want to run through those uh, some of those special rules? Because there's some in here that are yeah. pretty new, new, completely new to the heresy, I think. Yes. Um, so I'm going to take a deep breath here because some of these are a bit verbose. But we'll start with a subterranean assault. Should the termite and any unit it transports interplay using the deep strike special rule, they count as being a subterranean assault vehicle for the wider use of the subterranean assault rule for your army. That's a mouthful already. At the beginning of the controlling player's first turn, they must choose half of their subterranean assault units held in reserve for the purpose of deep striking, rounding up, to make a subterranean assault. These units arrive on the controlling player's first player. Uh, these units arrive on the controlling player's first player turn. The arrival of any remaining subterranean assault vehicles in the player's force is rolled for as usual for the mission. This rule, while similar in function to the drop pod, assault, drop pod Assault Special Rule, does not interact with it for the purposes of calculating how many units are, may arrive on the table by deep strike. Armies may consist of units with both the Drop Pod Assault and subter Subterranean Assault Rules unless otherwise noted. That is pretty huge, because guess what? You've more or less doubled the amount of possible deep striking units first player turn in your army. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact, I mean, so it does say deep strike, so you can actually use these 
if you are running an orbital assault right of war, I believe you can use these as part of that without the yeah. normal limitations. So I'd have to have double check, but drop, I think you're right. Because I, yeah, I don't think it calls for assaults. It just says uh, units that cannot be deployed via deep strike, either by having access to the special rule themselves or because they cannot be carried in a transport vehicle that has it, may not be chosen as part of this army. So that's a limitation of orbital assault. Yeah. Uh, so the way I read that, you could have drop pods coming in, and you can have termites coming up, and I think that's a legal, uh, a legal uh, selection for the army. Yeah, I'll double check those rules here in a little bit, but I'm pretty sure you're right. So, let's see, the other big rule, and this is three and a half paragraphs. So bear with me, guys. Terrestrial disregard. Instead of the usual rules for deep striking, when a subterranean assault vehicle enters play via deep strike. Place a large blast marker on the table and scatter it to determine the final position of the vehicle's arrival as per the deep strike special rule. Should this marker scatter on top of impassable terrain, a building, ruin, fortification, vehicle, or any unit engaged in combat, reduce the scatter distance by the minimum required to avoid the obstacle posed. A single vehicle or fortification which, which obstructs the arrival of the termite in this manner pick the closest to your original position, immediately suffers a strength 10 AP dash hit. Vehicles are hit on side armor. All units engaged in a combat which obstructs the marker suffers D6, strength 6, AP4 hits. If the final position of the large blast marker covers or touches any, friend, any enemy or friendly unit, then that unit suffers D6, strength 6, AP4 hits. After all damage is resolved, this subterranean assault vehicle may be placed in any orientation so long as the center of the large blast marker is underneath part of the vehicle's hull and remains one inch away from any fortification, vehicle, or unit engaged in combat. The area under the large blast marker is now difficult terrain for the rest of the game. Players may, should they wish to, instead represent this area with a piece of crater terrain. Should a subterranean assault vehicle be placed on top of any unit which does not pose an obstacle to its arrival, as described above, the terrestrial district guard rule allows it to be placed as though the unit was not there. If some models in the unit would end up underneath the vehicle when it reaches its final position, it makes no difference whether the unit is falling back or not, these models must be moved out of the way by the controlling player by the shortest distance, leaving at least one inch between them and the vehicle, and indeed any other unit, while maintaining unit coherency and staying on the tabletop. Any models that cannot manage this are crushed and removed from play as casualties with no saves allowed. Whew. That is a big that rule. Yeah, that's yeah. a big one. <laughs> so basically, when this thing comes in, it can either do a strength 10 hit to vehicles, or it can do a number of strength 6 AP4 hits to units, friendly or otherwise, that it touches, which yeah. is pretty cool. So yeah. you can you can use this to you know end up in someone's backfield. This is really awesome for gun lines. Definitely. Right? Dropping yep. into Iron Warrior gun lines or whatever it is. Goodbye Medusas. Goodbye yeah. Basilisks. So it's going to force your player, if they play the gun line army, they're going to be forced to spread things out a little bit more, most likely. Yep. Um, pretty cool. And I'll go ahead and read the other two rules. Do you have anything else on the well, I was just I'm, I'm looking at this. So when this enters via Deep Strike, you put a large blast. Now when you set that on the table... Let's say you want to put it close to the gun line in the back of your opponent. I'm assuming if any part of that large blast touches or goes over the edge of the table, would that could be considered a mishap? Uh, I 
don't think so. Do you think it'll just uh, move? I think it would just scatter. Yeah, the minimum. But I could be mistaken because I think it's the center of the large blast is what represents the the center of the deep strike. So if that's scattered off, then it might be off the table. I could be mistaken. That's something that probably needs more uh, more investigation. We'll see. I'm sure yeah. that will come up eventually. I'm sure there's plenty of yeah, stuff I'm that sure. we yeah. don't notice right now will come up in the future, as with all rules. <laughs> yeah. So this thing has two other rules. Uh, Melta Cutters. I will say with Terrestrial Disregard, that's probably one of the coolest names for a rule yeah. of many of the special rules in 30K. I love that. Yep. Okay. Uh, moving on, it's got Melta Cutters. So a termite assault drill ignores difficult and dangerous terrain. In addition, it adds plus two to its strength when making ramming attacks against fortifications. Um, so, you know, ignoring difficult and dangerous is cool. The plus two to strength for ramming attacks against fortifications is extremely situational. Yeah, because a lot of times you rarely see fortifications, depending on how you play. Yeah, but then then again, if you're playing a narrative game like Siege of Terra or something like that, having a bunch of termites trying to pop through, you know, Big Daddy E's wall <laughs> would be pretty cool. Definitely. And then it's got the rule crawling advance. A termite may never move faster than combat speed or flat out. So this thing moves really fast underground, and then when it's above ground, it just kind of crawls along. It's got only half the earth <laughs> to start moving off of. I got four tracks, and I can only use two of them above the ground. Yeah, I mean, I look at this thing, so having the 12 front and side uh, armor, and the fact that when this thing pops out, you can pivot it facing whichever direction you want. That is really cool. This thing could be a, a real thorn in the side, especially if you're running multiples of these. Um, mm-hmm. Again, in the gun line. Or even against a mobile army that maybe has deployed more aggressively, and then you end up in the back line if there's scoring objectives or whatever. Yep. Uh, that 12 armor is just enough to make it a thorn in the side. You're going to have to probably leverage a little bit heavier fire to take it out. Well, the uh, nice thing also is because of deep strikes, you can choose to you can use you have more options to avoid, you know, vehicle killer units. Absolutely. Kite, kite around them and trying to get into the the weak underbelly of your opponent's army. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um okay, so Real quick, I guess I'll talk about the Mechanicum and the um, Cult of Militia variants. Mm-hmm. There's all of the special rules are the same. The base point cost is still eighty. So I'm looking at Mechanicum. Um, you have all the same special rules, still eighty points, same everything, same BS four front and side armor, twelve three hull points. It, each of the variants do have slightly different war gear options um, mm-hmm. to reflect you know, what it's being bought for. Like I see, for example, the Mechanicum Termite starts with two twin-link Volkite chargers, as opposed yep. to Astartes, which does twin-link bolters. Yeah, and I think for Astartes, you have to pay to upgrade for 10 points to the chargers. That's right. So Mechanicum gets it for free. Uh, you also, for 5 points, can add Blessed, Blessed Auto Simulacra. Um, you can get extra armor for 5 points, Armored Ceramite for 20 points. Uh, or you can replace the bulkhide chargers for heavy flamers for ten points. Right. And again, it's a fast attack choice. Now, the the kind of wonky thing about this for the Mechanicum is it does say it's a fast attack choice for the Thagmata Amnesia army list. Um, mm-hmm. So depending on who you talk to and who you're playing, um, rules as written, this thing may only be available to those running a standard Thagmata list. 
mm-hmm. and not an order reductor or cybernetica list. I I don't know if that's intentional. If you if you were playing reductor and you brought one of these, I wouldn't have an issue. Oh, absolutely. Um, because it's very fluffy for reductor. Um, but you know that that's something that will have to be sorted out either in the FAQ or you know just casual agreement. I'm I'm not sure, sure how that's going to fall out. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone with any decent bone in their body not saying, you know, no, you can't have this. Oh. Like every other freaking army in this game can take it, but no, no, no. Reductor? No, 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 no. You're not having this. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking over Probably at... Probably want to be playing with those people anyway. No, absolutely. But you know, it's one of those things that you will hear about it somewhere on the interwebs that some oh, yeah. guy said it wasn't allowed and then yeah. it starts a whole... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> um... Looking at the militia side, so still 80 points. Militia get the two heavy flamers for free, um, yep. and then their only uh, warrior options are the extra armor and the armored ceramite. So they're stuck yep. with heavy flamers. They don't yep. get to upgrade. Can't take Volkite or heavy bolters. Yeah, but this is really cool because the transport capacity for of 12 for me, when I look at this, I look at grenadiers. Um, yep. You could put grenadiers in this thing, you can buy their special weapons, still fit the whole squad in there, or a 12-man squad of them in there. Um, so that's that's a really cool option, I think, for militia, who are really limited in their transport capacity, or transport capability, because they only Definitely. really get the Gorgon. Now they have something that's not a Gorgon, that yeah. they can transport some stuff in. Well, I guess they have the, the car dealership, and it's like, well, I could get this little, you know, beetle, or I can get this Hummer. Nothing in between. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, got, I got something a little bit in between. Um, and I thought I had the rules for um, Solar Ox. I, got I don't right have that. I got them Yeah, right go here. for it. Um, they're very similar to Militia with the two heavy flamers as they're working. Although they have the option to take Volkite chargers for free, which is kind of cool. That's nice. Yep. This is weird. They can take extra armor, but it's an extra 25 points. I don't know if that's a... Uh, that's going to be a typo? I would I hope, hope so. <laughs> 25 points extra... Yeah, That's got to be a typo, I'm hoping. Don't take extra armor, kids, for 25 points. Don't do that. No. <laughs> but then again, you're playing mortals, so got to fit those points somewhere. But yeah, Heavy Flamers and Twin Link Full Kite for free. If you want to swap that out, yeah, nothing else. So, uh, I mean, nothing else new for that. Eighty points, twelve, twelve, ten, yeah. three. So, what are your overall thoughts of the termite? Um, I think it's going to be a fun addition to this game. You're going to see a lot of cool stuff with it, a lot of unexpected stuff. I love the fact that you can now take a somewhat rhino equivalent and also stuff characters alongside your tactical squadrons, and uh, yeah. Overall, I think this is a good thing for the hobby, for the heresy. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, so, you know, looking at it from my own view with Death Guard, this is something that having one or two of them in your army is probably going to give you a lot of diversity, and it's also going to give your opponent a little bit of a pucker factor. Um, It's not... I don't think it's overpowered. I think the 80 points is good. And then once you throw Armored Ceramite on, you're talking 100-plus points. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gives you that ability to... Uh, and it's going to be meta-dependent, but it gives you an ability to drop in um, 
And even if you're not playing a drop assault army, it gives you some deep strike capability. Um, gives you a little bit of a tactical advantage. And for me, I look at this, you know, as a, a generic Astartes player, as what you can do with this and using, say, uh, Anvilus or two as your other fast attack choices. Yep. So combining this with Anvilus, which is going to use its drop assault rule, and then having one of these, so to be able to bring an Anvilus and a um, Termite in on turn one, can wreak a little bit of havoc in back lines. And I, I think it just gives you a lot of cool options. Uh, oh, I think yeah. it's something... Like a, I know a lot of people here will bring two deep striking transports, but now you can just take one Termite and one other one, and because of that, how the fact that the rules don't necessarily interact with each other, now you're doubling your first turn deep striking, and that's that's going to change the meta, I think, in a lot of ways. You're I, you're definitely going to see a whole lot of these at Nova. I can guarantee that. Yeah, and I think we're probably going to see armies, you know, with one or two of them. Probably, I'm thinking yeah. probably one is almost unless you're going to run. Um, a combination of drop pods and these, you're probably just going to see one of them. Um, but, you know, the fast attack slot is, except for a few specific armies, the fast attack slot is generally the most neglected. Yeah. And this is this is nice because everybody has access to it in that same slot. Um, I think you're going to see them, I agree, at Nova, you're probably going to see them across a number of different armies. Looking and it's gonna it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be exciting. I'm looking forward to putting like uh, melt of support squads in this thing. Oh yeah, just to yeah. completely tear up. Like first time the drill comes in, smashes whatever artillery you have, then melt the guys just come in and sweep up everything else. It is yeah, not an assault absolutely. vehicle, which is sad. But hey, when you're already doing yeah. strength ten hit as soon as you walk in, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm a fan of. You know, shoot! You got to shoot me out of my vehicle um, yeah. for those not assault vehicles. So, like a Rhino, um, this you're going to shoot me out of this thing. I'm not going to jump out and let you wipe my squad out necessarily, unless there's. I mean, if you're talking like you you pop up right behind a Fellblade or something, and you got that Melted Squad, of course you're going to try to take it out. Yeah. Uh, before Tip- it fires. Yeah. Typically, but if with you're just dropping guns, in the back of a line, if you got all Melted Guns, you're probably not looking to assault anything anyway. No, absolutely. You're going to be using your melted guns. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. This, this is cool, man. And I, I, I'm looking at like this can make for a really freaking cool themed militia army, Solar Ox army. You know, people using their Deathcore Krieg as militia with these things makes total sense. Um, Mechanica and being able to put, you know, um, thralls and stuff in there. The only the downside to it, which I was a little, I mean. It's an awesome capability, so I shouldn't poo-poo it at all. But you can't have any bulky models in there. Yeah. So on the Mechanicum side, like you can't put Thalax. I would have loved to have been able to put Myrmidons in that thing. Oh, Just stock Myrmidon Secutors. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you, can only, you can't... Yeah, it yeah, does it, limit you in a lot of it ways. It limits you a little bit. So on the Mechanicum side, you're going to put like Thralls or something in there. But they're going to hold an objective um, pretty well. and They're going to force a really mediocre unit to be pretty decent and make your opponent make a choice on whether they're going to try to take that thing out or, you know, play the rest of the game. So it's cool. I like it a lot. And it looks badass. Oh, yeah. And definitely now gun lines are going to be pretty scared when they see, you know, you got a termite in your list. So, yeah. So I think that's about it on my side. You got anything else? No, I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably order one or two here in the near future. 
So with that, um, I'm going to take a break, and then we'll make a few plugs, and uh, we're getting the heck out of here. We'll be right back. And we're back, guys, with some closing plugs. Uh, Dave's here. He wants to throw a few plugs. How you doing, Dave? Doing good. Um, Yeah, so far, the episode's uh, been awesome and totally on point for uh, what I'm about to to plug, which is a 30K narrative event um, in April, April 29th, down in Newport News. Uh, It's called The Fall of Sparrow. And... uh, the Hampton Roads 30K community is putting this on. Um, a friend of mine uh, called Rich Lanzendorf. Uh, Jesse, you met him at uh, the Williamsburg Muster. Yep. Um, he's he's been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, we we were both deployed at the same time. Uh, we both got back kind of at the same time. We were talking about starting up a community down in uh, down in sort of the south side of the peninsula, right? And then. I found you guys and it was just so strong, such a powerful, you know, community. Richmond has just so much going for it um, that I kind of got sucked in. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Rich was like, hey, when are we doing a, uh, when are we doing an event down here? And so, but you're he's uh, like around in the middle. You kind of have yeah, both I, options <laughs> kind of between am. Hampton Roads and Richmond. So it's, yeah, the, that's so true. And, and uh, yeah, it's, you know, and just, being able to play at battlegrounds and have a drink over at billiards is pretty awesome. It is, but you know, uh, Rich is going. This is going to be his first event. Um, mm-hmm. So I told I was just on Facebook Messenger with Rich, and I was like, "Dude, hundred percent, you need to listen to this episode, right? Listen to what, listen to what Ryan and and you guys have been talking about in terms of event planning." But I think he's on it. I think it's going to be good. Um, we've got a couple of weeks uh, to continue to build this. Okay, uh, right. Right you know now, uh, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> do you know where it's taking place at? Yeah, it's going to be at World's Best Comics and Games. Oh yeah, so, dude. I used to live in Hampton Roads, and uh, yeah, I, I know it, exactly where you're talking about. Absolutely, yeah. So, so World's Best Comic and Games in in Newport News, um, they have a lot of gaming space upstairs. Yeah, and the funny part is, you go there, and it's like this place has an upstairs. It doesn't look like it. Right. You go around the back, and it's like holy shit. There's an upstairs. Yeah, it's a cool kind of uh, unique location. Um, yeah, you know that you'll often go in there and you could be the only one playing, um, or there could be a couple other people doing RPG stuff. But it's a uh, it's a really great venue, very accessible. Um, they're not asking anything for it, so the event is going to be free of charge, and uh, Rich is going to bring some of his own prize support to uh, to the event. Very cool. You said April 29th? April 29th, uh, 12 o'clock, uh, 12 p.m. It starts. It's 2,500 points. Um, traders versus loyalists. 2,500 points, standard force organization, Age of Darkness, Crusade. Um, he hasn't told me that there are any restrictions on anything. So um, I'm going with 2,500 points. You know, all comers. All comers, yeah, list, nice. basically. Uh, it's going to be a Swiss style event, so um, one-on-one games. Uh, it will be narrative. Um, he hasn't told me whether we're using scenarios out of the Red Book 
the Age of Darkness book, the core missions, or if if he's going to come up with some other scenarios, maybe out of the black books. Um, I'm sure more more to follow on that. But uh, but yeah, this is uh, it's going to be a good a good event. So how do you sign up for this event? There's two places you can do it. It's kind of confusing. Um, but I think if you sign up for it in one place, it automatically generates it in another place. All right. So you can go to the Hampton Roads Warhammer 30K Facebook page, and there's an event listing for it there under the Fall of Sparrow. Uh, and you can just say you're going. Uh, you can say you're interested. You could say you're going. You could say maybe. I don't know. Um, but if you want to go and you plan on going, you should definitely say you're going because I think there's limited table space, right? Sure. And I think Rich is going to try to cap it at around 10 people just because it's the first event he's run, and uh, I think he just wants to make sure it's successful. Like, a, a lot of the things that Ryan were talking about today were just totally spot on, man, right? Like, mm-hmm. you don't want to get yourself in a situation where 30 people show up and you don't, just don't have the capacity for that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to really uh, hopefully start to build that community down there in in uh, you know Hampton Roads and the the South Side because um, be there are definitely people down there that play. Sure, met a cool few people there at the muster. Came up and met a lot of them. Seem like really good people. I hope they. Yeah, that. yeah. So it'd be good for them to get a good a thirty k group going. Absolutely, I think it'll be fun. It'll be good for us too. I think in Richmond because. You know, if we have a if we have a pretty solid gaming group that's playing, you know, an hour to an hour and a half away, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's potential for like, you know, bouncing bouncing events back and forth off each other. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah. So I talked to Rich and I said, is this a fully painted event uh, where you're not going to let anyone play if if their armies are are not fully painted? And he said, N- no. So it's it's encouraged, highly encouraged that you bring painted armies. Sure. But, you know, because they're trying to build a community and they're just starting out, if you don't have a fully painted army, just, you know, shoot Rich a message or, you know, hit him up online. Um, you'll, you'll be allowed to play. Like you'll be allowed to yeah. come and bring your army. Yeah. Definitely. Good stuff. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. awesome. I just joined the best. Sorry. No, I was saying I just joined the group there and I'm, I'm looking at the event now. And I, I think that's smart. Uh, keeping it open to obviously we want to encourage fully painted, but you know they're trying to build something here, so yep. having the first couple without that is is a smart thing. I know here in Richmond, you know, a few years ago we would have a preferred enemy unpainted would be kind of our standard, so to help kind of encourage the fully painted, but at the same time didn't prevent people from coming. And I think we did that at the muster as well, but I don't think uh, I don't think we really used that rule much. Everyone's still for the most part was pretty well painted so we still had a good time yeah yeah definitely and and uh i, I told rich he needs to flush out those uh those facebook posts a little bit more um you know hopefully hopefully people are going to listen to the, the podcast and and get some detail but i i told him man you gotta, you gotta throw a little more detail up on those event descriptions and he was like i'm on it just had a lot going on but yeah so those those event descriptions should should start to blow out with uh with all the stuff we're talking about right now, maybe more um in terms of scenarios and there may even be an event packet link up there at some point. But uh Rich is a totally cool guy, man. I know he's gonna pull this off. He was out at Adepticon this year. That's um, what he was. He, yeah, he was uh he was in the thick of it. He was sending me pictures of those uh 
of that Titan on the sky shield generator. <laughs> like I was getting those, those pictures like before the whole thing blew up and he was <laughs> like, look at this shit show, right? It's there at ground zero. <laughs> ground zero <laughs> reporting in. Yeah. And he'll, he'll be a Nova too. So this will be his first Nova. Oh, so. awesome. Good. Yeah. He's a good, he's a good dude. And he's, um, he's really trying to grow that community down there. So, um, I'll be at that event, plan on attending and, yeah. uh, I'll check my calendar, too. That sounds yeah. like fun. Yeah. Go back to my old stomping grounds. I'm sure not a lot has changed. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Doubt it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. No, right. thank you, guys. Cheers. Sure thing. All right, Ryan, what you got? Uh, not much this week. So there's um, a dude I started following on Instagram and Facebook um, called The Anvils of Conor. Mm, which is yes. Connor spelled K-O-N-O-R. And this guy, um, at least lately, has mostly been doing 30K Death Guard stuff. He does a lot of really, really cool green stuff work. Um, he basically does, you know, custom um, Grave Wardens and Death Shroud. It's kind of a mix of the new 40K line, but he's, it's not, like, super cartoony. Yep. He pulls in some of those models as the base and then turns them into 30K models. Uh, he recently did a Contemptor Cordis that j- was just completely badass with, like, pipes and, um, you know, pipes and cables and all sorts of stuff coming off of it. And he does a lot of uh, step-by-step on basings, on how he does his cables and stuff like that. So I've been following him on Instagram, and it's been really fun to watch how his models progress. And I've, I've learned a little bit uh, myself just watching that. So if you get some time and you want to check out some good green stuff work, um, so a little bit of good conversion work, check out the Anvils of Conor. Good stuff. All right. And for myself, I don't know. Check out uh, check out Battlegrounds. Check out Diamonds Billiards down in Midlothian. <laughs> <laughs> Check out the uh, Richmond 30K Facebook webpage. Check out the Hampton Roads Rich, uh, Hampton Roads Richmond 30, Hampton Roads 30K webpage, Facebook page. Yes, Richmond30K.com. And uh, yeah, with that, I'm Jesse. I'm Ryan. And for Dave and Jared, we'll see you again next week. 